Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Ono Sullivan and today's guest on the show is Mick Flannery. He's a very busy boy these days. He's got a brand new album on the way and he's also involved in a musical that's going to be getting its world premiere at Cork Midsummer, which kicks off next weekend. He's talking to Zara Hederman, who has been on this podcast uh, a couple of times before, and I'm very happy to have her on board uh, doing the interview for this one. She did a great job getting through all aspects of Mick Flannery's long career. He's been around for quite a while, and his new album, self-titled, it's uh, his sixth studio album, so no mean feat trying to uh, cover a whole lot of ground there. I guess that's where we'll start. Just a little bit of info on Mick, just so you know. The album is coming out on Warner Music on uh, the 5th of July. It's a really, really great album, and it sounds like he kind of challenged himself with it as well, with songwriting, with a lot of different people, kind of stepping outside his comfort zone, maybe a little bit. He's just played three nights at Live at St. Luke's in Cork, but he's got a couple of dates coming up. He's playing O'Keefe's in Clonmel on the 6th of July, the day after the album comes out. Dolan's in Limerick on the 19th of July. Galway Arts Festival on the 20th of July. Galway Arts Festival is a really, really good lineup this year. Really great. I'm hopefully going up to see John Grant and Villagers. But anyway, that's an aside, just so you know my plans. Uh, he's in Clare Morris for the Folk Festival there over the weekend of the 20th and 21st. Presumably it'll be the 21st he's playing there. Then he's playing Glasgow, Exeter in the US and uh, New York as well. That's in September. So a busy guy. And that's without even mentioning this new musical, Evening Train, world premiere at Cork Midsummer. It's the Everyman and uh, Rosa Productions in association with Cork Midsummer Festival. So that's going to be running the 14th of June to the 23rd of June in the Everyman. It was written by Ursula Rani Sarma and it's directed by Annabelle Komen. And it's based on Mick Flannery's concept album, Evening Train, and it's been turned into a musical. It sounds really interesting. It sounds like a real, like, again, just kind of getting out of your comfort zone, trying something new. I think that's always to be recommended. Probably particularly when you've been at it so long, like Mick has. Here's a brief uh, synopsis of what you can expect. It's West Cork. Grace dreams of a new life far away from here. She waits for Luther. He's late again. Elsewhere in town, bartender Frank surrenders yet another paycheck to cover his reckless brother's gambling debts, while Luther promises Grace that by Christmas he'll have made enough money to get them out of here. Before long, a high-stakes game is underway in which everyone is a player, whether they like it or not. Did you like my voice acting there? That's as much talking as you're going to hear from me. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening. And over to Zara Hederman chatting to Mick Flannery on the Point of Everything podcast. We're just here. You've got two guitars with you. I presume you were just uh, rehearsing for Evening Train, the production that you're working on for the Everyman House up and going. Good. It's good crack. Yes, I was up for the last two days, even though I'd missed like the start of the week. Okay. I felt bad. I was bold. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've got the two Kirk guitars because I'm going to a gig in the morning. I'm going to see how Ryan are like to look at me with those things. <laughs> uh, Do they have new... No, um, yeah, I don't know. What's, uh, I, I, I must just check what's happening with my ticket. I, I just live in fear of Ryanair. Cause I think we all do, yeah. <laughs> of what happens, like, they'll find some way of depressing me tomorrow. Yeah. No, that week is, that, that evening train thing has gone cool. Mm. 
it's a new experience uh, actors and background plots and storylines and I don't know it's a musical which is a strange thing by its own and yeah so I suppose with the evening train when you wrote it 12 years ago I was I saw that you had in mind of writing a stage production for it but it didn't quite plan out that way back then in 2007 so how did it come about now in 2019 with Evening Train becoming a stage production and a musical? Well uh, Ursula Rani Sarma contacted me I I think around eight or nine years ago to say that she'd be interested in writing the script that I couldn't write at the time of of kind of conception I guess I've tried to write dialogue for this uh, musical that was in my head I couldn't get it together to write things mm. that weren't completely cheesy like thankfully she manages to do it I, like it's a real skill mm. when I look at it from well I don't know from being able to see it from the point of view now just with a few weeks experience of how these things go like mm. you really do need a experience just to know what type of things because they have to they have to push the plot along but they also have to give the actor lines that will allow them to act allow them to let the character become the character to the audience member mm. and not just be hammering the plot every second like mm. and it's it's interesting like and she gets she can she can inject humor like just at the right time you know all the things that she has to think about it's funny um, that you you say that you found it difficult writing the dialogue because when I was listening to Evening Train, it was so, within like the first 30 seconds, it was so vivid to me how it was so perfect for the stage. And like the scenes and the songs were set up so well and I was able to imagine the characters and, you know, you could really sense um, the story between everyone. Um, so have you now, working with Ursula, with the dialogue, would it be something that you'd be interested to do again in another album in a couple of years' time, if it's a decade to go or whenever? I would be interested. I'm still not sure, like, I'd be, if I were to try do the dialogue, mm. I'd, be, I'd be just kind of heavily influenced by Ursula. I've sent her my latest album, which is kind of a concept album as well, in the hope that she'll do something yeah. with that as well, but it says she might be sick of me. <laughs> I would try it again, yeah, because it's so, I don't know, it's so fun. It's so kind of playful, because mm. it's so, there's such a weird conceit is that these people get up on the stage in the first place, and then they're going to burst into song mm. halfway through trying to tell you a story through dialogue. But I guess, why not? You know. With the the production, are the songs remaining very true to how they were on the album, or is it are they different to fit around plot and dialogue? They're different in chronological order. There's a word uh, I'd never heard the word dramaturgical before. Oh, I've never or, heard of that either. Or <laughs> dramaturg, turg, not dramaturg. Sorry, Jack. Uh, <laughs> dramaturg. So someone that kind of acts as proxy for the audience member in their stead and goes, okay, as an audience member, I feel this now for this character and that. And the fact that I know this and that character doesn't know it 
makes me feel this tension and this and here and at this point like the audience member maybe ought to have not made their mind up about who they liked you know yeah and so I, they have to take all that into account Fair. for that reason mm. I hadn't taken that obviously into account in, in the album so Ursula had to rearrange things with that in mind with the tension being built up to a point but not resolved and then with other plot lines that she has added to it it just it was necessary for her to to switch the order of the songs and to add certain songs and to ask for other songs to be to be written mm -hmm. so she would write a certain or what happened was she wrote a monologue and she asked can you can you um make make this into a song so that we can pull it out pull the monologue out and just use the song which that happened and then the, she injected a few other of of newer songs of mine into it as well okay just for a little bit of, i guess of a change of flavor and like in fairness the songs that she chose they do kind of fit in like i mean they're not a million miles away from the theme of small town kind of frustration I guess uh, and then certain things like meant that uh, some of the stage directions also mean that okay this person cannot be on stage during this song so ergo it's no longer a duet it's a solo song so that type of thing yeah, yeah. and you're uh, performing on the, I'm in the band, you're in the yeah. band how many is in the band and are you on the stage all the time or you are yeah i'm on the stage i'm like i'm downstage as well uh, most of it is set in a bar like most of the interactions happen in a bar mm. so we are the band that's in the bar like this ubiquitous band for yeah. some reason <laughs> oh, i guess we're all alcoholics and we just live there and get free booze yeah so i'm a bit nervous about that but having to be there kind of reacting and not reacting to like in a sense I'll be acting I guess yeah in my lack of acting yeah actually. I, I won't be <laughs> like I won't want any attention but I'll have to make sure that I don't draw attention to and in the band is it the band that you're currently playing with or no. is it a brand new bunch of of musicians that you're working with it's brand new to a degree yeah there's a, a guy what you call a kind of a top line uh person uh, who plays like a bunch of different solo instruments His name is matthew beryl now he did play with the, uh, the band for the last week or so in a bunch of gigs and uh, he's great so then i needed a musical director someone who's able to write dots i can't do that so that's another kind of chair in the band oh, like it like it's an expensive thing mm -hmm. so i'm you know i'm i'm a free member of the band because and then the musical director is like thankfully doubling his role as he writes the dots and plays part of the of the arrangement so then we have a, then we need a drummer and my drummer or not my drummer like but christian it's just he's he's got a recording studio and he's too busy producing stuff yeah and so he couldn't commit to the 10 nights so we have to get, have to get a, another guy called davy ryan who's also a very great drummer um and then we wanted a cello player mm -hmm. so we got a cello player yeah. so yeah so there is no 
apart from Matthew who's joined the band all just of late there's no there's no crossover that must be kind of exciting though as well and kind of adds to the the newness of the the project it must be quite cool to do that yeah I mean it's not like it's it's good yeah I've lived like I've always been a bit mercenary with that type of thing. There's been a few people who have been playing, I've been playing with for years and years, like my aunt, and there's a violin player in the band who was there since the very beginning. But apart from those two, there's no one else that was there from the start kind of thing. There's been chopping and changing and kind of, like Christian, the drummer, was there for a long, long time. But I guess I just kind of change things around just to keep things fresh. And I just like to be free kind of to do what I want to do, you know. So mm. it's kind of better not to have anyone. That's relying on you then. Yeah, for or like, or to make any type of band, inverted commas, feel. And then I'd love to um, go back to the very beginning. Um, I read um, when you were 15 that you, um, what inspired you to become a musician was watching Kurt Cobain and Nirvana playing on MTV Unplugged. Yeah. What was it about him that resonated with you and do you remember that moment? I do, I was on the phone to a guy called John DC and I kind of just hung up on him. <laughs> <laughs> John, I've got to go. <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was in the kitchen, there was a little TV in the kitchen and um it was the song, the, Ma- the David Bowie song, The Man Who Sold the World. Mm. And I don't know what was happening at the time in the music. Like I had, it was on 2TV. What, do you remember Dave Fanning used to have it on 2TV? I used to watch that. And I don't know, like I was looking, uh, you know, the way you'd be, I, I was doing that thing where you, ha- where you record onto a tape the songs you like on the radio. Yeah. Kind of looking around for music. But I, th- I guess it was his voice. Or how cool he was, his his look. Mm. Like he was good looking. Yeah. And he's he was kinda careless in that image of him with the cardigan, he's sitting down swirling in his chair. He could not give less of a fuck. Maybe I could just thought he was sexy, I guess. Yeah. Do you know? Um his voice was certainly sexy, like he had that growl. Real gravelly and Yeah. And was it soon after watching that that you started to write songs? Yeah, I think. I started to play the guitar. Like I was struggling with, I was playing piano. I was going to piano lessons, but I was struggling with coolness. I was like ad- excusing myself from rugby training and soccer training to go to piano lessons, and I was getting a hard time over it. So I decided to give up and <laughs> do the guitar. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, then I guess I started to mess around with songs because mm. I started to understand what chords were, trying to pick up. Uh, how to play Nirvana songs and stuff like that. So yeah, those were the first songs I learned to play independent of the lessons. One of the first songs you wrote was a, was based on or inspired by a murder that happened on a road nearby your house. Yeah. So from that, it kind of seems like storytelling is such an integral part of how you write songs. At that time, were you an avid reader? Were you very into like, f- um, like books and reading and fiction growing up and why you're writing songs? I was reading Steinbeck's books. Uh, like I wouldn't be a, I wouldn't be a massive reader, but there was a book of Steinbeck books that I got through. There were like about five of them, the two big ones and three other ones. Um, 
do you have a favourite Steinbeck book? It's been a while now since I read them. Like the Grapes of Wrath one uh, is if is like a, it's effective. It stays with you. Yeah. I like the East of Eden one. I think I might have been messing around with some robbery from East of Eden with uh, with Cal and, Ar- and Aaron. Isn't that Cal and Aaron? I don't know. I've never read them. Uh, there was like a, uh, there was a two like two brothers. I guess he. I can't remember exactly what type of metaphor he was making with Cain and Abel, but there was definitely a nod to it. And I just, but it was it was more set in uh, like Dust Bowl America. Mm. Um, but it definitely had it, it, it like it put that type of story in my mind. All right, that yeah. like two brothers differing and in in one family. Um, and what else was I listening to? Tom, I had list started to listen to Tom Waits, uh, who was all very storytelling songwriting. Mm. Uh, Bone Machine, uh, even Frank's Wild Years, which I hardly, I don't know if I, I, de- I think I had definitely heard it before uh, the Evening Train thing, which centered around a Frank who was trying to leave uh, small towns. Frank's Wild Years does the same thing, only Tom Waits one is like it immediately follows him after he's left the town. And I think that's the only thing that gets me out of complete plagiarism. <laughs> You're in the clear. <laughs> My guy never left the town, right? <laughs> yeah, his name is Frank, and I sing exactly like Tom Waits. But shut up. <laughs> so, yeah, it was all, yeah, storytelling was, you know, it'd be, like, it'd be, it'd be easier as well because you'd be afraid to sing anything that's noticeably personal mm. you know like oh that's that song about that that girl he won't talk to in school yeah. that's the that's about her <laughs> <laughs> oh so that's what he really thought about <laughs> yeah that type of thing yeah so i just kind of made stuff up so i could divorce myself from the people involved it's a safe it's a it's a better way to go i think sometimes <laughs> i might be living my life that way <laughs> <laughs> is that life imitating art yeah. That is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then soon after that, um, like from 15 to then 19, and you mentioned Tom Waits there, um, you were the first Irish person to win the Songwriting Award in Nashville. How did that come about? Did you enter yourself in? Did, did someone... Yeah. I don't know. It was a very proactive ambition move to enter a competition. It was. It's like very... It's an odd thing to do in, in retrospect or, or, you know... Especially when it was so far away from home. Yeah, well, I wasn't like I sent the stuff off. Yeah. For, I guess I was just looking for some way of uh, of getting something on my CV. I just didn't know what to do. I think my sister might have my sister might have uh, recommended trying it. Like, look, she was just looking for different avenues for me to. Because I had no manager or anything like that. Yeah, so I sent that off. I don't know if Tom Waits actually heard it. I don't know. But he was on the judging panel. That's what they say. <laughs> now you're just being modest. I'm just being sceptical. You're like, just worried that he heard about Frank and is aware of the near plagiarism. <laughs> yeah, he's just waiting to sue me. <laughs> uh, the right time. He's waiting for the right time to drop the lawsuit. I think it'd be absolutely worth getting sued by Tom Waits. Come on, come get me. <laughs> Take everything I have. <laughs> for the pitchfork headline. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. 
just like just waved to you from the court. <laughs> so what was the time frame then from you sending songs to them? Were you then, was it shortlisted to say 10 people or how did it work then? Yeah, they text me or emailed me to say that I had two in the top five of different car- categories and then they emailed me again to say that I had won those categories and they were going to say that. And, like, that was it, like, really. There wasn't any... They sent me some gear. Later on, like, in in the music business, like, I used to get a couple of calls from from people, like... And they'd say, oh, look, we're doing... We're from this competition here, and, like, do you want to enter? It costs a couple of hundred quid to enter. Or else someone would say, hi, we're from this agency. We'd like to... We, lo- we heard your song, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we'd love to work your song for you. We just need, uh, like, w- are you up for this? Like, we've got loads of contacts here, there, and there. And you go, oh, yeah, that's interesting, yeah. And then they send you a bill for, like, a couple of hundred quid, and then you go, oh, we'll work your song here and there. Like, there's a, not, there's, there's a good few sharks around. Yeah. So I never, like, the reason I'm skeptical is because I never checked like you know any anyway, i could set up a website tomorrow called the uh, international songwriting competition.ie mm. and i could say tom waits is the judge bob dylan's the judge and like send me 30 quid plus a cd and if i only get five or six cds oh winners <laughs> you know what i mean and i yeah. i also have 300 quid and i just send them off a bunch of leads yeah. that i spent 20 quid on and i've got 250 quid you yeah. know easy it could be a good the Mick Flannery bursary. You could set that up next year. <laughs> I just move into fraud. Just <laughs> <laughs> one art from to another. Yeah, but you got you were signed then quickly afterwards um, to EMI. And what I was really interested in is, and it, this really reminds me of um, I don't know. Do you know Kate LeBon? She's a, a Welsh singer, but she. Um, she, for the last couple of years, um, has, along with writing music, she will also take up another craft. So she was doing pottery, um, she was doing furniture design and furniture making. But I saw that you do stone masonry. Yeah, well, I was doing stone, not in the same sense as okay. pottery or, you know, I was doing it as a, in, in the building trade as opposed to like the art Okay. Uh, like so, I wasn't I wasn't carving anything. It was very uh, utilitarian. We were doing entrance walls, uh, fronts of houses, um, very much construction site based stuff. Like when was that? Um, it was like when I was about fifteen. Okay. Summer holidays, and then after school, and then like any day I could during. I went to this post leaving star course where I was doing music and then I was doing like I think that was a three or four day week I was so I was working the other three days <coughs> I was good crack I tell this fucking story about the two uh, Lithuanian guys no, sorry Ukrainian guys um, working with us and my boss like Every now and again, it was, this was in Cork, and 96FM is one of the Cork radio stations. Mm. And every now and again, like, one of the DJs might play one of my songs, you know. And, like, Patsy, the, my boss, would go, oh, <laughs> fucking down tools, <laughs> like, in honour of the song. 
And I just sit there and embarrass me like, and I, we don't have to listen to the whole fucking thing. Just, Shut up! Like, I want to hear what he says after. <laughs> Two lads, like the Ukrainian lads. I don't know, like they, they kind of understood what was going on. Like I don't know if they actually believed I, it was me on the radio. Yeah. But they were grand with putting down the tools for five minutes. Like after a while, then they're trying to sneak like down tools. Like if someone that sounded remotely like me came on like hey Mick good good money 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 more money for sleeping they used to fucking give out to me for being late why are you so late sleeping (laughs) so when anything came on then money for sleeping drop the tails yeah yeah Patsy was saying get the fuck back to work that's that's fucking Bruce Springsteen and you know it That'd be a, it was a nice compliment. Though. Yeah, I was just about to say, that's a good compliment to get. <laughs> Sound. <laughs> Dancing in the dark by yeah. Mick Flannery. <laughs> I wish I had those royalties. Money for sleeping. Um, and you were saying about like music industry sharks and that kind of brings us nicely now on to your new album, which, um, as you were saying, is kind of loosely a concept album but at the same time the songs are very much that can be listened to independently um, and it's based on the idea of a musician trying to find meaning in like the dysfunction of a musician's life mm-hmm. but there was some themes um, that I saw in the press release for it that was like moral moral corruption moral collapse, moral collapse yeah have you seen a lot of like it was a lot of the songs that you wrote and the experience that are in it were they very autobiographical from your 12 years of touring and writing and um well no you see the character i was writing about was would have gone at a higher arc than i would have you know um so i was exaggerating the like there's lines in it like that go um that there's people like bet the crowd there's a crowd begging for more and there's girls at the stage door and it's all he's getting wrapped up in all the hype and temptation of it whereas that my life is much kind of small scale smaller scale than that you know but I, but I, I guess I've seen the spectrum not the full spectrum but I've seen a part of the spectrum and I, and I can see where the spectrum might go mm. Uh, be it with like drugs or kind of you know partying or uh, egomania like mm. people losing their sense of reality and not like and then like it's not even my own experience it's like the people I see around like if you tour you get to go to festivals and your stuff like that and mm. you get to see what other people are up to yeah. and sometimes you meet some awful fucking man Jesus Christ you've got about six months left yeah. the way you're going like and the people around that person, they're going, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I met a guy, I can't remember where. He was outside a hotel in the morning, like, and he was out of his fucking mind. And, like, I was hungover. Like, I, I hadn't met him the night before. I just knew that that hotel was populated by the festival people. And he was out the front with his, and his band, and he was smoking cigarettes, and he was, trying, he was still way up, like... And his band were kind of, they looked like they were sick of him. Mm. And then he dropped his bag of drugs on the ground. Mm. And, like, I picked it up. He hadn't even noticed it. It was a full bag of white stuff, like, whatever he was banging into. And uh, I kind of thought about keeping it because he was so <laughs> unaware. But I just said, here, man, like, you probably want to take that off the street. Like, yeah. 
Yeah. He just goes, yeah, man, you're fucking right. You know, <laughs> you know, like fucking full Metallica. I was like, Jesus Christ, man, get the fuck out of here. Like, you know, he just, he went full attitude. Like, he didn't even say thanks. <laughs> so I saved you hundreds of euro of drugs there, man. <laughs> Not even a thanks to be spared. Not a fucking thanks. Uh, but that type of disappearance, like, you know. Mm. There's no connection anymore. Like it's someone's just they've gone they've bought into the rock and roll um myth. Yeah. Yeah. Which is absolute bollocks like. <laughs> that just doesn't exist. Like if you throw a TV out of the window, you you're gonna be paying for it, like you know. And you, you just feel like shit, I'd say afterwards. You yeah. go, fuck I I just made a lot of pointless work for people there. Like there's no need for that. <laughs> there's also the risk that the TV might land on someone outside. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you have uh, like experienced stuff like that over the 12 years. And have you noticed a change? Has the industry changed at all from when you started out to now? I don't really know. It's a good industry. Like, I mean, it, it, like, it, it does have its kind of sharky people. And kind of uh, charlatans, or because f- it's very easy to to play on someone who just they don't know exactly how to be confident in themselves. They they're putting out some type of self self expression, and they're looking for a reaction. So they're very vulnerable there, like mm-hmm. to anyone who says, "No, no, you're amazing. Like you, you just give me five hundred euro, and I can really fucking do stuff for you." Like. Oh really? Oh, I'm amazing. And I'm just give you. Yeah, I'll give you five hundred euro. It's just it's if there's room for that, then it'll that room will be filled. Some actor will fill that room. Like, mm. but in general, it's so much fun and there's so much f- adrenaline around the gigs and there's like so much good crack and people are doing what they love to do and they're in good form and. They only kind of want the best for each other. Mm. There's a lot of nice things that can happen, a lot of good camaraderie. Um, uh, amongst sound engineers, they'd all be music fans. Um, and then you meet other people that are like at festivals and stuff like that. It can be just, everyone is everyone is in good form. Everyone's happy to be at the festival. They like the fact they got invited. It validated them in some way. Mm. And now they're going to have a pint and there'll be a sing-song. And how the fuck, how bad? Yeah. It'll be grand. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> you can forget about the sharks for, for this evening, you know. And So, yeah, there are nice people involved. I mean, and in general, like, it, I think people are trying to, like, when you think about what good music is, it's, like, something that people can empathize with. So, by default, if you're trying to make good music, you're trying to be empathetic, which is a good thing. So, they go hand in hand, I think, which is a good attribute, I guess, for this industry. What I found um, interesting with this album as well is it's your sixth album, album, but it's also your, it's self-titled. It's called Mick Flannery. Was there a reason for that? There's a few things on it that are co-written songs, and there's a there's a I had a, a kind of a, a little bit of fear around it. Why? Um, because they're a little bit less repressed than 
other music I've put out. Like there's a few choruses in this album, mm. and there's a few productions that are a bit poppier. And I kind of guess I just wanted to own it a little bit mm. and say like, yeah. Well, aside from that, like I didn't like any of the titles of the songs as an album title. Okay. That was kind of the main reason. Like it would have been it would have been called something had one of the titles worked for me that's all i usually used to do mm. is name the album after the most album titled song title yeah. you know i suppose hosier got in there with wasteland that happened i was going to call oh. it wasteland because it would have been a grand title yeah that's you know? what I, yeah <laughs> uh, but yeah hosier fucked it up <laughs> damn it <laughs> Yeah, but it's grand. You know, yeah. It's just grand. It, it worked out kind of fine in the end. And what was the process of um, making the album? You co-wrote some songs. How long were you working on it for? And where did you record it? I, like, I guess I was tipping away over the two or bit, two or three years in between. That. Like, and then I, I was much of late. I've been much more open. And my new manager, Sheena, has been great for this, these co- new co-write kind of opportunities. Um, she's got great contacts outside of Ireland and she's kind of like are you up for meeting these people in Cora and I said yeah grand why not like I've I've got nothing to do that day Mm. before the gig and so that type of thing started to happen it didn't always work Uh, I don't know what percentage of them work maybe only 10% of the meetings actually kind of bear fruit in some kind of way like you'd always get a song but it might not be that good. Yeah. Like, and so those, in LA is where I met, like there was two different sessions where it just kind of worked, I guess. Uh, two of the songs are called Come Find Me and Fool, written with these two guys who are kind of more pop-minded than I am. So it was a good kind of contrast. And they were just kind of, kind of, I was going along with them. I kind of wanted to go along with them. They were very nice about it. And I just said, yeah, like, man, people should want to sing along with the chorus, you know. Mm. And I said, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and then there was another man, Tony Buchan, who ended up producing, I'd say, more than half the album. I just liked the way he he worked up songs. Mm. Uh, and then... Three or four of them were done with Christian. Um, the guy who's done most of the other older albums. Mm. Three or four, I think, were done in Cork with him and before I went to America. And then there's one straggler, which is another session from another producer who was great, but I just, I guess, I kind of went with Tony over him. It was like a, I don't know, a decision. It was like a, call, a judgment call. Yeah. Um, so, But what he had produced was called Star to Star, and just we just went with what he had done. We just didn't re-record it because I liked it. Mm. Yeah, so that's the crack. Cool. <laughs> and then you mentioned uh, "Come Find Me," which is the single that you released last week, was yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. Um, and at the start of the month, you played three sold-out shows in Cork yeah. uh, at Live at St Luke's. Have you? W- did you play a lot of the new songs at those gigs? How to kind of road test them with the audiences? How did they go? Good, I think. The the people clapped like a decent amount. That's good. You definitely like definitely have your ears open to to like dead silence or, or just to kind of 
unenthusiastic noise when you go, yeah. oh, that was a bunch of shit. Because <laughs> yeah, you're going, oh, fuck. I hope they like this. <laughs> <laughs> we played about four or five of them. Like, luckily, they're a little bit more up-tempo than, mm. than my usual stuff, so that helps, like. No, it's good, I hope. Speaking of up-tempo, there's a f- up-tempo, again, version of that Come Find Me song. The original recording I did with the guys who I'm inverted commas poppier guys they did a, like an Ibiza version of that song oh wow that's fucking that's, uh, have you uh, got that hidden somewhere on your laptop yeah <laughs> well, like, but Warner have heard it now Warner are distributing this album and they're going you fucking put that out unless unless you want to be a stonemason if that's what you want, fine. But <laughs> but just put it out for the crack. Like it's not on the album. Just put it out anyway. Cause like, mm. like in fairness, like my stepdaughter heard it and she goes, ah, "That's the best song you've ever done." Like, <laughs> all your other ones are very sleepy in comparison. <laughs> uh, why would you not put it out? <clears throat> and I don't have a good answer for her. Just because I'm repressed. And this is too much fun for me. <laughs> I, I I like to write about. <laughs> Murders on roads in Cork. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you heard about murder? <laughs> <laughs> so are you kind of at loggerheads a bit with the idea of that coming out? Yeah, no. Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> Throw it out. The haters going to hate. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Well, my band are going to hate, I'd say. And actually, just out of curiosity, with the um, shows that you played in live at St. Luke's and any of the kind of gigs coming up, have you been leaving songs from Evening Train out of the set because you're working on this at the moment and you just want a bit of escape from that album when you're playing gigs by yourself? I don't know. I was doing it this week, all right, but it's been a while... Uh, it, it, like the evening train thing hasn't gone into like full mode yet, so I haven't uh, I haven't had a chance to get too sick of the songs. Yeah. Like some of them, all those songs are kind of are useful as well. Like two of them that are upbeat, and one of them is a little bit odd. It's like a card game song, and there's kind of a, there's a lot of tension in the lyrics, I guess, and that's kind of useful to break up some of the other teams I have during a gig you know there's too much of one team so it's good to have this odd card table song to break things up like and then finally what else are you up to now I suppose you're going to be very busy with bringing out your album and playing the show in the everyman yeah I'm not up to anything else I'm just I'm just trying to I'm trying to spend enough time at home just to keep things together it is quite busy at the moment I just just remember to fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> and get it where you can. Yeah, and not drink too much. Like, have to grow up a bit. Down to two pints of Beamish or Guinness per night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gone are the days. <laughs>